1: a podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless.
0: There is yet another murder mystery plaguing police. This one out of Atlantic City, New Jersey, where authorities there say they are eyeing several persons of interest in a string of unsolved homicides dating back to 2006.
2: Sun, surf, and glittery casinos. That's the image Atlantic City puts out to attract millions of visitors and billions of their dollars. But this is another side of Atlantic City. November 20th, 2006, two people stumbled across the body of Kimberly Raffo. When police arrived, they found three more women's bodies, no more than 50 yards, separating them.
0: They worked the Atlantic City boardwalk. They were all found murdered and dumped in marshlands. Those murders remain unsolved. The search for clues continues 12 years after the bodies of four women were found in a West Atlantic City drainage ditch. The bodies of Kim Raffo, Molly Diltz, Barbara Bredor, and Tracy Roberts were found in the ditch behind the Golden Key Motel November 20th, 2006. Investigators say the work
3: continues every day to try and bring the people behind their deaths to justice. Anyone with information is asked to call the Atlantic County Prosecutor's Office. Curtis Silva for CBS Philly.
2: This is one of those men, Terry Olson. He and his lawyer, James Leonard, agreed to an interview. Did you murder these four women?
3: I absolutely did not have anything to do with it. This fits the FBI definition of a serial killing.
2: After finding the bodies here, one of the challenges investigators faced was that the elements had dramatically reduced the amount of recoverable evidence in the case.
0: They worked the Atlantic City boardwalk. They were all found murdered and dumped in marshlands. Those murders remain unsolved.
3: Everybody counts. Um, you know, every, you know, every person a child of God. And we, you know, we, we view every person, uh, every victim uh, of every crime,
0: particularly you know crimes uh, of violence like this, as, as worthy of our best efforts. And anyone with information is asked to call Crime Stoppers at 609-652-1234, or you can call 1-800-658-8477. That's 1-800-658-TIPS.
3: These were ladies who had a particular lifestyle, a lifestyle that uh, caused them to want to live below the radar.
2: Tracy Ann Roberts, 23, was from Delaware and moved to Atlantic City for a job dancing. Without any disrespect to Mr. Olson, uh, he, he's not Machiavelli, okay?
0: he's He was simply answering their questions. I think that he presented to them
2: an attractive target.
1: Hello and welcome to Who Killed the Atlantic City Four? I'm your host, Bill Huffman, and on this week's episode, I am again joined by... Nick from the True Crime Garage podcast to discuss the case in a little bit more detail as well as discuss some of the suspects that have been interviewed throughout the investigation. Now, this case is one of those that boggles the mind because, again, four bodies were found in one location in a span of about 300 meters, and yet there are no suspects or any persons of interest that have actually been arrested. They've had a couple of suspects that they did name in the public, but according to authorities, those suspects have been cleared through DNA and a variety of other means. Now, to say that they do not have any involvement... I won't go that far, but I will say that it is one of those cases that without any more information from another crime scene or something along those lines, we are probably going to be in a stagnant situation unless somebody comes forward. Now that there's a $25,000 reward being offered by John Kelly's profile group, Stalk, spark some interest amongst the community and get people talking. Because the only way that this case is going to be solved is somebody's going to have to talk. And if you killed four people and dumped their bodies behind one particular location, the chances that you kept this to yourself aren't very good. So if you know anything, please contact the authorities. So just to give you a little background, again, four bodies were discovered behind the Golden Key Motel on November twentieth, two 2006, in Atlantic City, New Jersey. The four women were Kim Raffo, Barbara Brader... Tracy and Roberts and Molly Delt. Uh, Nick and I do discuss that in our conversation that I will get to in just a moment, but I just wanted to give you a background on the case. Again, these women were found behind the Golden Key Motel, which is on a strip of very seedy motels in West Atlantic City. All four of the victims were considered homicides, but only two of them were able to be determined as strangulations, or asphyxiation as the cause of death. Now, all the bodies, as I mentioned before, did not have any shoes, and all their heads did face towards the skyline of Atlantic City. Nick and I discussed that as well in our conversation. So instead of telling you what our conversation's about, I figure we might as well just jump right in. So I will... uh, let you guys go and enjoy my conversation with Nick from the True Crime Garage podcast as we break down who killed the Atlantic City 4.
3: I'm a serial killer just like this dude is. I know that area. I'm from that area. I'm the guy that can help you find your man. And he referred to him as the River Man. There's actually a book called... The River Man, Ted Bundy and I Hunt for the Green River Killer by Robert Keppel. And that is personally one of my favorite uh, true crime books. And that was published before Gary Ridgway was identified as the Green River Killer.
1: You know, Bundy definitely played that
3: card till the day he died, really. I mean, it was... What's scary about that to me is that... You're going to have, if, if in fact this guy killed these four women and he is truly calling himself or referring to himself as the river man, it's a very scary situation because there's, there's two things going on there. One, he's identifying with Gary Ridgway. And two, he very well could be competing with Gary Ridgway's quote-unquote legacy. I hate to say it that way, but what do we know about Gary Ridgway? Gary Ridgway said that killing was his career. This man killed for so long, he considered it his career. Everything else in his world was secondary to killing. Who did he kill? He killed sex workers. Why? Because it was easy for him to show up. He was pull up in his pickup truck. They hop right into his vehicle. He killed most of them in his vehicle, at his home and in secluded areas, started off dumping them in the Green River. Once police got hip to that and kept finding them in the Green River, he started dumping them in the woods, and then he started burying them. He made it harder and harder for the law enforcement to find his victims. He wants the trail to go cold because he wants to keep operating in the same manner that he knows how. This method of his is tried and true, time and time again. So he wants to keep employing that same method. Gary Ridgway is believed he's got like 40-some confirmed kills, and I believe he's confessed to 71. Part of that was he couldn't stop doing it. He was addicted to the to the sex and to the murder. But on top of that, he wanted to have high numbers. He wanted to have a big number. If this guy identifies with Ridgway, he very well could be competing with Ridgway. He could be really taking to heart Ridgway's words and actions. And if he's doing that, he's going to want to try to beat Ridgeway's number. He's one, He's going to want to try to go undetected as long or longer as Ridgeway did. Gosh, you know,
1: especially if he's moved into different areas that, you know, where you can kind of kill once and move on to another place. And it's not even necessarily connected to anything other than just a random killing.
3: I would like to know what insider information Kelly had if he had any at all, that circles around this whole foot fetish thing regarding Atlantic City. I get that their shoes and socks are missing, but that does not make him Jerry Brudos. No, it does not. And it could just be happenstance that they are missing. You know, when I first started looking into this thing, I wondered, well, is it just a coincidence that they are all facing east? I guess maybe I would think that if it were were two or three victims. Four seems to kind of rule that out. It seems like that's, that is a thing. That's mm-hmm. something. Who knows what it means? It, it could very well mean nothing at all, other than he doesn't want you to mistake any of these victims for anybody other than his. And I know with some of the victims, the decomposition was, was so far along that, that it's tough to really hone in on some aspects of the crime, but do they all appear to have been strangled with, with a ligature?
1: They were only able to determine two of the deaths as being asphyxiated okay. um, because other bodies were so decomposed. But
3: but they say asphyxiated and not strangulation.
1: See, that's the thing about in one of those articles, the detective who speaks to the NewJersey.com reporter talks about how Raffo didn't have any evidence of a struggle or any bruising or anything like that on her body. It's weird. Sometimes like like you could go to one site and one will say strangulation by ligature and some will say not. I mean, it's like you go on Web Sleuths and it will say that. Then you can go on or do you listen to the detective? <laughs> I don't know what to say, but but I know that dilts and Brider were too uh, decomposed. And uh,
3: I don't know that I would say that feet have anything to really do with this. I I feel like, you know, yeah, their shoes are missing. Socks are worker. missing. They're sex workers. But guess what else is missing? Weren't there cell phones and purses yep. and and other items missing? So should we say that he has a cell phone fetish? Touche. Let me see your cell phone, baby. I, I don't know. I mean, it could be a thing. To me, it seems like choking and strangling is his thing. Yeah. That's what seems to be the, the sexual fantasy, the sexual fetish to him. This guy gets more turned on by a neck than he does a set of feet. So when they say, hey, these other other sex workers would be aware that he has a foot fetish or he's asked to do things with their feet, he's willing to pay for types certain types of acts involving his foot fetish. I go the opposite route. I go to the top of the body. I feel like he he's asked to do things with, with the neck, with, with choking and with putting his hands around someone's neck, putting objects around a woman's neck, what these workers may know him for. And the other thing, too, is if he's involved in any type of long-term relationship, the woman that he's involved with is aware that that's kind of his thing as well. I definitely think
1: that that's got to play a role. I mean, the fact that the shoes are gone, I don't know. If you're going to say that the four bodies facing Atlantic City make it more than three, then I don't know. I mean, just to play devil's advocate with you in that regard, I don't know. Maybe he does like
3: shoes. I mean, possibly. Is he redressing these women?
1: That's another thing. It's That's not talked about. And I don't no. know how
3: many times that that's really ever talked
1: about, to be honest with you.
3: And if he is, does that play more toward the idea that he's at the motel or at a, in a vehicle?
1: The fact that there there isn't any, you know serious bruising or, uh, you know, blunt force trauma or anything like that. I just think a lot of these victims were seriously inebriated when they were killed. And, and, you know, they might have been strangled. They might have been suffocated with a pillow or whatever. But I think that that's. Or
3: they worked out some kind of deal that they were in a position that would make it very difficult for them to defend themselves. Uh,
1: very Gacy style.
3: Right. Right. The, there would be things that he could claim that he's willing to pay for with drugs and money, certain acts that he's willing to pay for with drugs and money if they just do or act or behave a certain way, if they're willing to role play with him. That sounds mm-hmm. innocent, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Until you can't breathe anymore, until yeah. the lights go out. And guess what? You don't. You can offer to pay whatever you, you want. You don't have to pay if they don't survive the act. This guy's a dirtball, man. And, and he'll continue. This is his thing to me. That's, that is my, my bullshit expert opinion, my, my dumb guy from the garage opinion. This guy, the strangulation, the choking, the asphyxiation, and sex are all rolled up into one fantasy for this guy
1: do sex workers ever get pushed to the back as far as crimes I mean I just ever I, mean, I love the question ever I mean because obviously that that's a stupid question because we all know that that all cases get pushed to the back burner as cases progress which also leads me and I'm, I don't mean to like pontificate here but we have all these cold cases and we hmm. talked with Bill Thomas about this in the Colonial Parkway series hmm. about all the unsolved cases the thousands and thousands of unsolved cases if we just dedicated a, a department Department in each police force to solving these cases. I mean, it's just like, why is it so hard to have a cold case unit? Or a, I understand funding. I understand that stuff. But like we pay for billions of dollars and all sorts of shit. And we can't seem to find a, the money to put together a, a task force that could solve some of these cases. I just don't... We both love the show Mindhunter. And again, that's another thing that Bill Thomas likes to bring up. But, you know, that's such an old way of police force. It's just like they don't... The FBI doesn't do that anymore.
3: Well, to, to answer your first question regarding sex workers, it's really from what I've seen, and this has nothing to do with, with my personal background or family background or anything like that, just from my interest in true crime and, and looking into so many cases over span of my lifetime. From what I found is it really depends on the area. Yeah, the sex worker crimes against, you know, violence against sex workers, murders, things of that nature. In some areas, you're absolutely right. The police just don't care. Why? Because it doesn't, it's really not a threat to the community. They're out policing the community and what would be threats to the community. The community doesn't consider these individuals part of their community. So, yes, in some areas, it does get pushed to, to the back burner or to the point of even looking away or going, eh, we'll get to this when we get past these other crimes that matter or get past these other victims that matter. And I want to be clear here before I get a couple of hate emails that's other people's words and not mine. This case, Atlantic City, I don't see that here. I don't see that that they don't care. I don't see that there's not an effort being put forward. And this goes hand in hand a little bit. One thing that I feel like we're seeing in our current day, in present day situations, more so than sex workers not being cared about by law enforcement is drug addicts. I've reviewed so many cases where I don't think they put a whole lot of effort into the investigation when they show up and the victim is a hardcore drug addict and all the people surrounding this person on their inner circle are all drug addicts as well. I think they just kind of throw up their hands and either go, what does it matter? Or I don't know how to to pursue this. And that's it's a shameful act and on that person as an individual. And it should be it should be a shameful. They should be ashamed of themselves. This is not something that I think that we should look at a, a police department and go, well, the whole police department's crooked. It's all full of a bunch of dumb, lazy individuals. There in any line of work out there, there are people that are good at their jobs and people that are bad at their jobs. There are people that care, there are people that don't care. So I think it's really a a very case by case basis. I've seen plenty of of sex worker cases where where they did care. And, you know, even in green river, even in that situation, I understand that he got away with a lot of murders for a very long time. I don't think that was because they didn't care. They set up a task force. This city yeah, didn't know what went broke trying to find this guy.
1: Yeah, that's a good example of them them caring. I was just going to go back. Like, I didn't want to interrupt you. And When you were going about the, you know, we'll move on to the next murder. We'll move on to the next thing. Cause, I mean, yeah, that happens. So my thing is kind of going back to the statement I just made before about, okay, we're now reached a point where we can't get any further with this investigation. So we are going to hand it off to, I don't know, like, I just feel... Maybe I'm just dreaming. I don't know. But it just feels like once it's out of the public spotlight, it doesn't have nearly the desire to be solved. And again, I understand that they run out of evidence. They don't have any leads. But it doesn't mean that, especially Atlantic City, where there's plenty of crime, they've got other crimes they have to focus on. I mean, murders happen every weekend. It's just like Cleveland. I mean, Columbus has murders every weekend. I mean, every major city does. This, is, this right. isn't like, yes, is there a problem in the country? Yes, we get it. I get it. But in this particular situation, I just find that the sex worker scene in Atlantic City, it's one of those things that they sort of, since it's a casino area and sex working is technically illegal still it's only legal in Nevada. I also think the police look the other way just in the sense of even who they're talking to in cities like that. That's just, so that's my two cents on it. That's, that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that they don't care. I just think that they just kind of blend in with the community very much like you said about the suspect. The suspect is a part of the community and that's why you can't fucking figure out who he is because he is a drug dealer, a drug taker, a drug user, whatever. He's part of that scene so he just blends right in i don't know that's just my two cents
3: on that (laughs) well i mean this is 2006 so solving this crime unfortunately is going to i believe come with a price and that price is going to be more victims the and i say that for a couple of reasons again i believe in a situation like this law enforcement has to work with with the people that would have been surrounding the known victims and that's going to be other drug addicts that's going to be other sex workers that's who it's going to be and it might involve pimps it might involve some real shady people none of those people in any of those circles trust law enforcement in this investigation it's law enforcement's job and duty if they want to solve this it's in their best interest to get those individuals to trust them tear down those walls get them to tell you what you know so you can connect the dots and you can find this guy this guy is known in these circles he's not known to be a killer, but he's known to fit into several of those different compartments that we just discussed. And so with him, he's still killing. He's probably not killing in the immediate area, but you know, if a, if a sex worker turns up, strangled to death in a wooded area 50 miles away six months ago, unless they're finding physical evidence at that new crime scene, they're not connecting it to the quote-unquote eastbound strangler. Because it's been so many years, I get that they are refusing. That's the new... Is that the new hip thing nowadays? Law enforcement's refusing to call it a cold case. Like, it's like you've it, only, th- it's I, like I, you've only thrown in the towel once you've announced I, that you've thrown so, it in the that-
1: towel. It's so funny you say that. I just noticed that too in like the last year or so. It's like, we're not going to call it a cold case. This
3: is, we, it's, yeah. It's we got we got like refuse a stig- to call it a cold case.
1: It's a st- It's got a stigma now to it apparently.
3: Yeah. Yeah. We've received no tip and we have followed no leads on it in the past three or four years. So it, it's a cold case. Sorry, guys. It's a cold case. It is what
1: it is. I mean, you can't make the prostitutes on the street or the pimps Tell you what you want to hear by just going and asking them questions, just like you said they don't trust the police or the opportunity to solve this case has been missed, and it will take somebody who now that there is a reward actually being offered, you know somebody who wants to get out of that environment, somebody who wants to have that you know next day that they've already got planned out that we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, hey you know, what would be a great step in that direction is that chunk of change that they're going to give me.
3: Right. And I think that that was thrown out there to help, obviously. And the the other thing that makes this even more of a colder case than just the time, it's the lifestyle of the individuals that could provide information to you. That that amount of time is greater than it would be. It's like dog years compared to people that live normal lives, Right. Yeah, these how many of them are still alive? High risk lifestyles by ingesting things into their body that they shouldn't, by putting themselves into dangerous situations, working on the streets. A lot of these people could have passed away. Could have hopefully a lot of them have gotten clean and moved on into a better world and may have forgotten about a lot of this stuff. And so that's going to make it difficult. The other thing too that you got to think about is this killer moved on. As soon as they found those bodies, he moved on. And I'm not saying that he he picked up everything that he owned and he moved out to Las Vegas. I'm just saying he he moved on in some manner or form. However, what I will keep going back to is he fits in this world. Right. So then who is he? If he fits in this world, he's living a high risk lifestyle as well. And that tells me that he's, he was committing other crimes other than just murdering people. He was buying drugs, selling drugs. Uh, he was a John he very likely was involved in in crimes that, that those types of individuals would be involved in. Yeah, he very easily could have been picked up for something else. Yeah. He could have very easily OD'd somewhere. Exactly. have got scared and stuck a needle in his arm and and gave himself his own version of the death penalty right so this one's going to be very difficult to solve and, and every day that that passes makes it again it's like dog years man 10 times harder and unfortunately solving this one will come at a cost and that cost is more victims I think one thing that's interesting, again, with this, this Birchell, who's been labeled a drifter, mm-hmm. there was some talk that I came across where law enforcement had reached out to other agencies in like Florida and Alaska, which... Mm-hmm. And and I'm trying to think of another. There was another state that was mentioned in that same report. I want to say Texas, but I don't. Have, you know that just maybe it was Missouri. Very possible. So and then you asked me earlier, kind of off mic, why does Israel Keys pop up when you when you in your Google search when you start looking into this case? I'm wondering if it's that Alaska connection. Wasn't Israel Keys Alaska?
1: That's exactly what I was thinking of when you just mentioned Alaska. Yes, yes, that's exactly where he got caught. Or where he committed the crime that led to him getting caught, where he abducted the girl from the coffee shop.
3: And I, I want to be clear, I'm not throwing out there to that mix this is Israel right. Keys in the whole mix here. It, it's it's an interesting take, I guess, but um, no, it I feel I feel like. Scene. Possibly. And I don't know that we fully understand Israel Keys' scene. Well, um,
1: that's true. And, and And again, it's not like these murders happened all over one weekend. I mean, we do know that he liked to, to travel and set up his murder victims that way. Again, let's just not go down too too far, but it is weird that it comes up as when you google it. It is just it's just so odd in my opinion. He but then again, he could be it's, it's like at Edwards, you know. Let's just Throw in every crime that he ever did, or if you've watched the Confession Killer on Netflix over the weekend, the <laughs> how many cases that guy flipping confessed to. Holy shit. I mean, it's one thing to hear about Henry Lee Lucas, and then another thing to see Henry Lee Lucas. I mean, this guy is so full of shit. I mean, not to go, again, off on a tangent, but wow. Um, no wonder John Walsh doesn't believe Otis O'Toole had anything to do with
0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
3: Well, Henry Lee Lucas lived such a boring life until he was arrested. And it's like, okay, man, we're going to give you, what do you want to eat? How many packs of cigarettes you want? where do you want to go to today okay that's what we're going to do today as long as you keep talking yeah it was uh that was that was one of those things I couldn't believe it
1: I'm like and then at the end of the series and then, did you watch it uh, I I did
3: watch a little bit of the first episode and I'm not um, this
1: isn't a spoiler I'm not spoiling anything but the amount okay and I won't even just give it but the amount of murders that they actually do attribute to him like three or four n- isn't it? okay what they can connect him physically to yes because he killed his mother that's a fact
3: he killed that girl was that girl his niece or was it a or some girl they picked up Uh, in texas yeah but he he claims to have killed like 150 some people no
1: no no he claims to have killed 600 women so give or take
3: a few hundred give or take and he
1: literally (laughs) he literally starts off it's like 150 to 200 then it's like 400 and then it goes all the way up to 600 now they've obviously been able to figure out that not every one of these cases is is you know connected to him but
3: uh, some of the cases didn't even exist.
1: That, and then basically he was being fed uh, by the law enforcement everything that he was being told, or that he was telling
3: them. I mean, he was. You know, and I and I actually don't feel like most of the detectives involved in that whole thing. You know, some people refer to it as a scandal. You know, I, I don't know that it was I don't know that it was meant to be anything other than some detectives wanted to interview somebody and I think maybe they ran a little wild with it. You know, definitely, at
1: this definitely ran wild with it.
3: Well, well yeah, one hundred percent ran wild with it, but at, but at the same time you have things going on in our nation and our eyes opening up to the idea of these traveling serial killers and and you have very smart detectives that made a really dumb assumption and really dumb leaps going oh no shit i couldn't solve this this murder in cincinnati because the whole t- my killer took off and moved to texas you know and and the other thing too is if you identify someone as being pure evil with the with the capability and motive to kill I and mean, why not i mean it's we we saw it with bundy we've seen it with so many others and and that's what they were kind of dealing with at the time it was a, it was an it was an awakening yeah in in a way to recognizing to recognizing that that something is going on that there's this serial killer phenomenon going on but yeah um, it was
1: right after Bundy so i mean
3: right and, and but but there was going to be missteps during that growing period, as there are with any any type of thing. Let's like just it. say
1: there were the Texas Rangers. I think took a, a little bit of a hit for this one because right. of the fact that they still to this day attribute him for two hundred murders. Right. Two hundred murders that's just the texas rangers that nobody else does
3: in all reality too henry lee lucas was a man that couldn't think his way out of a paper bag you know so this is not some hannibal lecter criminal mastermind this was this was a a low-level scumbag drifter who only thought about what he needed for that day he didn't think about the next day he didn't think about the next week he was not somebody that could trick two dozen people into being killed it was uh he's an impulsive moron <laughs> and i mean that's really opportunistic right right this he was no he was no ted bundy he was no it, gary ridgway was not even considered as far as iq goes to be a very intelligent man or even oh, yeah. an intelligent man but gary ridgway and this is what i think we have here too with atlantic city ridgway adapted he was smart enough to adapt when they started finding the bodies in the water he, he was smart enough to put them in the water to begin with to th- that destroyed some of the evidence they start to find him in the water he doesn't care about his moniker the green river killer you know, he starts putting him in the woods why because they're going to be looking for him in, in the water then he has another problem when he starts putting him in the woods is when he starts going back and having sex with the dead bodies hey, so that's a he, problem well it's a problem for it's increasing his risk of getting caught by this point law enforcement is well aware that some of these guys return to their to the bodies mm-hmm and we saw this in the with the Atlanta child killer. We see it right. in, in uh, the Green River killer case. We see it in the Michigan murders case. Um, I can't think. I, his name always escapes me.
1: Oh gosh, uh, yeah, Norman. Uh, just give me two seconds. So I know the damn. To, the we're talking about the co-ed killer yeah I mean, the the co-ed killer not Edmund Kemper right
3: co-ed killer the original co-ed killer I would guess you would say
1: yeah because I mean in all reality I mean he was before Bundy so I mean this was he was 69 67 to 69 and yeah it, it was um uh, John Norman Chapman
3: John Norman Jim. so and then it, John he was known, known at the time though as John Norman Collins so with all three of those cases we know that they set up survey they pretended not to find a body and set up surveillance around those bodies waiting for the killer to return. You know, Make no announcement that we actually recovered the body. Let's see who comes strutting up in the middle of the night or in the middle of the afternoon looking for this body or just happens to put themselves in the area of this body. And so what Gary Ridgway did was not just to it was not to save himself from the despicable gross act of having sex with a dead body. It was to save his own ass from getting thrown behind bars because guess what the true fantasy involves a live victim and that all goes away once i get locked up and i think with this drifter with this uh i I keep saying drifter but with this atlantic city no he is a drifter individual i think i think he's adapted but only because those bodies were found again he didn't care so much that they would be found i don't think that he put them there thinking that they would never be found that that would just be dumb to think that he yeah. put them there because it was convenient.
1: Yeah, it was convenient for him. And I think that the fact that it was right off the expressway, I think that can lead to the thought that it may have been, you know, long haul truck driver, which everybody loves to go to, you know, first and foremost is, but again, it's unfortunate. But but,
3: the, but again, uh, when you're profiling, that's everything about the what, what we said at the start of this, this show, The you profile the offender, the victims, the area, and the situations involved. And when profiling all of those, what do we see here? This is an area, the motel, the black horse pike, all of it lends itself to a transient lifestyle for the victims and for probably the offender as well. So I wouldn't be shocked if it was a trucker or if it was, um, you know, a drifter or something of that nature. The, the, The tricky thing there gets to be the quick turnaround with your last victim between last being seen and being found.
1: Well, I mean, he could have committed the crime and then left town the next day. I mean, it's just the fact that they just so happened to stumble across the victim. I mean, I I don't know. Just some, it could just be a
3: coincidence. One thing too, while we're you know we talked a little bit about the discrepancy in the reporting of how the bodies were found, I did come across one report that said that. Uh, Kimberly Raffo was found near the motel like yeah I I found one report that said like right out back like almost you know within she's not in the drainage ditch is what I'm getting at
1: from what I read it was really close to Olson's apartment or motel room Then that's I think one of the reasons too why I mean again a scorned lover is going to be a scorned lover but the guy was a creep ball I mean he should have been on the radar no matter what so um,
3: yeah I'm not saying it's impossible that it was him it's very convenient that he happens to be there about the same time
1: yeah and it just and just because his dna doesn't match we don't even know what kind of dna they have they haven't said a damn thing about it because they have one press conference i want to go back now, this is just totally off the subject but just real quick back to ridgeway and the R- green river killer you know his killing spree started in '82, and he was throwing the bodies in the river right away. Well, you know what occurred before '82 was the Atlanta child killings, where they talked on the national news about how, you know, if the bodies were found in the river, they wouldn't be able to find fibers or whatever. You got to yeah, wonder if they were, if he was aware of that.
3: Atlanta child killer was the opposite situation he was first putting them in the in the woods and in other areas on land and then exactly. he adapted to putting them in the water I i've just seen, thought no it, it, here's the thing if that's why this this guy uh Birchall is so scary to me because he's referencing a killer who has the same type of victims who's doing the same type of acts this is almost what I would expect to see. I, you know, there was one interview with the serial killer, and I can't remember his name off off the top of my head here. But he said in his interview to uh, the FBI, to I believe this was to John Douglas, said, you know, when you were a kid, you grew up, and you probably collected baseball cards, and you probably could read off baseball and football stats. Well, I read about serial killers. I collected Detective Magazine. I I knew stats. But I knew stats from killers, and say it was Kemper. And so you, you are exactly right. They, a lot of these guys, if if they're if they're somewhat organized, they are aware of previous killers. They're aware of things that got these previous killers caught. They're aware of. Not only that, because some of the things that these previous killers did are portions of their own fantasies. They want to read about it. They want to study about it. They want to learn how to do it. And you're exactly right. I, I don't, that's why I think this Birchall guy is is very, very scary to me. He has a lot of the markings of what I would expect to see. And I would love to know what, Denise Hill, was that her name? Yeah. I would I would love to know the details of what she's telling police. What were involved in the quote unquote confession that birchall gave to her
1: yeah i mean it, from what i determined from the you know the article that i was reading is that she didn't go into too many specifics but it would be interesting to just talk to her and see if she was still one of alive uh or around or clean and sober or would even re- remember that type of thing and i think that's kind of goes back to what you were saying also about all these people you know it's 13 years old it's or 12 years old it's these people live a high risk lifestyle, the chances of them one remembering anything from that time in their lives, even if they were clean and sober now, is probably few and far between. So
3: you know what I would be if I were the detectives, my ploy to the, the public would be we want to talk to sex workers or drug addicts who fought off an attacker. I wouldn't be surprised if there was someone who got away and that's who we want to talk to. Who was that that attacked you? How did they attack you? What What do you think the motivation was for their attack? Can you identify them? Can you locate this person? That's who you need to talk to. You, you can find a victim within that group of people that don't trust you. They might trust you if they identify as a victim, if they recognize that you might be able to help them. It's just, a, I, I, again, I don't see a situation here where they're turning Away from it because because of the the victimology. I just wish that there were connections made. Maybe there were. Maybe that's how this whole conversation with Denise Hill came about. Um, but that's going to be your way of of solving this is is talking to people that are peers of the truly peers of the of the victims.
1: Yeah, this is definitely one where you're going to have to get out on the street and actually do some boots on the ground type of uh, policing, and I think that that is. You know, it's probably something that they did, obviously, after the fact. But even if you're going to because I know that in 2000 and I don't know, 2015, 2016, I mean, the Atlantic City Prosecutor's Office is trying to make it a point to get this case solved because it's for one reason, at the very least, tourism. Who wants a serial killer when you Google Atlantic City to come up? right you know what i'm saying like it's it's not a good look um now if it says serial killer caught that's a little bit more of a okay but because everybody's got somebody that does something wrong but man i mean even cleveland had the uh, cleveland strangler the east side strangler whatever the hell they've nicknamed him but i mean we had so well so i mean that's just one of gosh knows you know whatever the how many serial killers are out there what serial killer did you have in columbus
3: we've had we've had some there was uh, there was one that was there was one that they were tracking here in the early 2000s and it was weird because there was really no there's really no understanding Understanding that it was the same guy uh, he was actually killing on his inner circle like the, the all the victims had a connection to him and that's how they easily found him but it was like four bodies turned up but it was not in a way that you would connect them Mm. the public wouldn't connect them the papers didn't connect them it wasn't until after the fact that they're like oh we arrested this guy for oh you remember those four murders that happened in the past eight months or last year and a half those were all connected and it was all this dude we've had several there were uh the uh, the blood brothers back in the i think it was the 70s they were um i think they called him the the 22 caliber killer which is a name that's been used before and since then and it turned out to be two brothers
1: oh that's ironic oh is that or is that why they called him that (laughs) did they call him the 22 caliber killer because there was two of them or no they were using
3: a 22 caliber gun okay
1: i was gonna say like so it was coincidence that there was yeah
3: and they didn't call them the blood brothers until after they were but they were twins you said did i say that i don't know if i can't remember It, it was a case that i i've only you know, just very limited uh, knowledge of of the case.
1: Yeah, it's all. I I don't know. I just think that like every major metropolitan city is going to have a serial killer at some point in time. It's just a given with the statistics. And yeah, Gary and Thaddeus Lewinden, uh, it looks like we're the uh, blood brothers. I don't know. Hold on. This is weird. I've never heard of these people before. This is crazy. But yeah, Gary and Thaddeus Lewinden.
3: Yeah, what little knowledge I have of the case. I think there is some kind of question about it too. Like um, I think one of them turned on the other one so there i think there are some people that think like maybe one of them was innocent or uh, again i have very limited knowledge yeah, yeah,
1: of the yeah, case. yeah we can wrap up since we've been talking for
3: three hours like, right like, like usual so. I forgot. I actually didn't realize it had been that long. It's <laughs> just, that's but just we only wait. we only started on yours at a little after ten thirty, so I guess we're no it worked out just
1: fine. It worked out fabulously actually. So let's just wrap it up and so Nick. Now that we're kind of discussing the case, we kind of reached a point where we're where the authorities are. We don't really know where this case is going to go from here. Do you have any final thoughts?
3: Yeah, I think this case is probably connected to some other cases out there. I don't think that they've obviously made the connection. I think there very likely could be other victims. 100% I, I would think it to be very strange and very unlikely that it's connected to the Gilgo Beach or Long Island serial killer. Again, this individual very well could be serving time. I think that the offender lives a high risk lifestyle or did back in 2006 and that could add to the, what I think is probably the unlikelihood of solving these four murders. I think it's going to take the solving of another case to leave lead them to lead them back to these cases. I I do agree with you on that.
1: It's one of those unfortunate uh, situations where the killer is going to have to keep on killing in order for the solution to kind of come about. I think that there isn't enough evidence at this present moment for the police to work with to bring any charges against anybody, especially since we know that Olson's given his DNA. The police have said, you know, he's not like he's 100% off the hook, but DNA, the silence on the case. I mean, if they thought it was him, they probably would have brought him in already, I would assume. My thought is it's going to be the public. I'm glad there's a reward out there now. Hopefully that will trigger somebody to come in and say, hey, I know something about this case. And I was, like you said before, maybe it's the person that got away and they Mm -hmm. realize, hey, wait a second, that could have been the situation that I found myself in, but never put two and two together. Now that it's out there and with John Kelly making a push with the profiling group and all that other stuff that's going on within the case, there's at least a little bit of Hope that the case does get solved, but at this point in time, I mean, 13 years down the road, it does look like we're court. We're sort of at a standstill, and and it is sort of up to the the public if they know anything to really kind of come forward. That's right. Yeah. So, Nick, I can't thank you enough for uh, joining me again for another riveting conversation about serial killing. <laughs> And, uh, you know, all the good things in America that we get to deal with.
3: Well, thank you, Bill, for having
1: me on the show. And I will talk to you soon. All right, man. Well, I do appreciate it. And uh, thanks again. Many thanks to Nick from the True Crime Garage podcast. All of their shows are available on the Stitcher app. And I really do appreciate it when he makes the time to join us on Who Killed. It's always a pleasure to have him on. And thank you, the listener, for tuning in to this week's episode. If you enjoy this independently produced podcast, you can support the show by clicking on the Donate button on the right-hand side of com, or via the Venmo app with my username at BillHuffman3. I will also provide a link in the show notes. Any amount is appreciated, and it really does help keep this podcast running. If you do enjoy this podcast, I would ask to please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows, because that will help support the show and help keep important cases, such as the Atlantic City 4, in the spotlight. If you'd like to stay up to date on the cases that I have covered and the new shows that I have in the pipeline, please follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. If you are new to the show, all 40-plus of my previous episodes are available for free, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. The FBI would like to know if you have any information leading to the arrest and conviction of the individual or individuals responsible for the death of the Atlantic City 4. You can reach them by calling 1-800-CALL-FBI. And if you want to stay anonymous, you can always reach out to Crimestoppers. So again, thank you so much for listening, and until next time, be safe.